real-life friends having real-life conversations. This is Good Talk Gang. And yes. then who's the guy from the Eagles? Don Henley. Wasn't there a Walsh in... <laughs> like John Walsh. Oh, John Walsh was was the America's Most Wanted. Joe Walsh, I think, is in the Eagles. Oh. We, I don't... But speaking of the Eagles, Andy and I were very close to Winslow, Arizona a couple of weeks ago. We didn't stop, even though I wanted to get my picture taken in the corner of Winslow, Arizona. We didn't In a stop. flatbed Ford. Well, I wish, but... Um, no. But whatever. I saw the sign and it <laughs> opened up my eyes. <laughs> so what's the deal with childhood? I don't know. Tonight on Delilah. <laughs> Delilah. What a great show. We might get sued for doing that. She's public domain now. Right? Is she? <laughs> no. <laughs> I just have this like distinct memory of driving up to Wisconsin like in my early childhood and like flipping through between Delilah and that other like weird trivia show with that man. What's his name? Trivia show. Oh, he like talks about, you know, in heart health news, blah, blah, blah. Now, you know. And then it was just like, I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Hmm. But like driving north, listening to Delilah talk to these teenagers about love. (laughs) Teenagers and lonely truckers. There were always truckers calling in. Can we please write a poem called Teenagers and Lonely Truckers? Jesus <laughs> Christ. I'm writing that down for real. That's beautiful. Except I put T-R-U-C-E-R-K-S. That is not how you spell truckers. That's your own Kavifi. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> Relevant. Kavifi. That's what I've been saying, Yeah. yeah. I even looked at you like how the first time I saw that tweet, how I looked at my phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, yeah, so today on Good Talk Gang, we're going to be talking about childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. And I'm personally just uh, slightly afraid that mine will be super bums town, sad, sad train, but... Um, I'm going to try really hard to not do that to you, so. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, But I don't, I I definitely want to hand the baton to someone else. I want to hear your all's before mine. My cousins and I would always try to skip out on Sunday school. We had this teacher the sunday school teacher she was the librarian at the high school and she was a very old woman very sweet but like kind of creepy was she open up to different was she opened up to different worldviews though no damn it absolutely not she was uh united brethren originally i think i made the the mistake of confusing brethren with united brethren and she gave me this long lecture oh about how Lord. they're different but i i mean i would do the same if someone would confuse elca and lcms lutheran but anyway <laughs> um we just did not want to fucking be in that sunday school class at all and she would she would look for us Jeez. because like at this point we can't drive we can't go far and our parents are making us stay there so uh we would hide in the sanctuary 
and we would hear her like very quietly walk around trying to look for us. <laughs> and uh, my one cousin's younger brother uh, was like trying to move to a different hiding place, oh but God. she caught him, so he had to go to class. But <laughs> my other cousin and I, we we made it, and we were just laughing so hard. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. I don't have any stories about sneaking out of church. Sorry. You were a good kid. Well, I didn't go to church until eighth grade. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I mean, once my mom um, made me go to uh, vacation Bible school, and part of the class was held on my neighbor's front porch. Um, and, like, during the summers, my brother and I just had full reign of farmland oh. uh, because my mom and dad worked and my Nina and Papa Papa worked downtown and Nina was at home. So we could, like, go swimming. We could go up to the barbershop. We could do whatever we wanted. Um, so, but I was always, like, a people pleaser. So, of course, I went for my mom. And it was just the fucking worst. But that day I did learn the Ten Commandments, which prior to that day, I didn't even know that these things existed. Wow. I was like 10. I was like, what? And so she went through these like memory ways to remember Mm -hmm. um, shit. Well, one of them, she wanted us to rhyme eight with gate. Mm. Okay, but what is the Eighth Commandment? Thou shalt not bear false testimony against thy neighbor. Yes. Okay, that's what it is. So she said eight (laughs) gate. And then she wanted us to envision our neighbor's fence. Okay. Okay. Right? I think. Five is um, to honor your parents, right? Right. She had a little picture of a beehive on her um, flannel board because she wanted us to remember, you know, the hive is like family. Oh, that makes a little more sense. I feel like the eighth one was kind of stretching, but... Uh, so yeah, those are that's that's my only experience with like church as a kid was all right <laughs> was front porch Bible school <laughs> beehive neighbors gate. Yeah. <laughs> At work, I'm getting I'm gathering a custom collection. This is this is a small little break, but I'm gathering a custom collection for someone who wants um, third grade reading level to high school reading level. Um, but interest level, seventh grade and up, okay? Mm-hmm. So a low vocab, high interest. But they want it all to revolve around service and compassion again in, in the Christian world. And I think that that's wonderful. Like, that's what Bible school should be about. Like... I agree. Yeah, like, the t- what Jesus really fucking cared about. And it was just like, make sure you include Jesus washing the disciples' feet and um, him forgiving Mary, Magdalene, like all of these things, blah, 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 blah. So I go on up to teens to try to find books on service and teenagers, and I kid you not, I can't find any. The only thing that I can find are sex books. And I'm like... Just thinking, and I was just like going off the other day at work, and I was just like, maybe if we instilled compassion and loving other humans into teens, instead of just saying, no, you can't have sex, they would be better about having sex. I think you're right. I lost my mind. There was a book. There's an actual book where she gives a list of what's over the line. Are you serious? Yes. Ugh. Lying down together is a definite no. What? You can't lay down together. Well, I get it. 
because then, you know, boners are popped and creameries are on. I mean, I understand. But it's just like, don't give kids a list, you fuck. They're 100% going to go against the list. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, so I was just like talking about Jesus and it's, I don't know, it was weird. (laughs) (laughs) It's very rare that I go on a tirade in defense of Christianity at my public yeah. <laughs> library. I hope someone documented it. Yeah. On this day, Erica. Yeah. Erica stood up for Jesus and everything he believed in. <laughs> which, Jesus was a cool dude. It's everybody else who has fucked his shit up. Okay. You're right. And that's my official stance on religion, <laughs> I think. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. I just figured out what I believed in. <laughs> Okay. Today, so. Erica gets a worldview. <laughs> so growing up, my, my shit was a little fucked. Um, just so everybody knows, I lived on Main Street and farmland. My grandparents, my dad's parents lived three houses down south. And then my mom's parents lived over the railroad tracks and then a couple of blocks away. So it took, it was like a five minute bike ride. And I didn't really have a lot of friends Um, I was never antisocial, but I just, I didn't want to fuck with having people over because my dad drank a lot and my parents smoked pot and they fought and I just didn't want that. So um, I hung out with my cousins a lot. And so I would say that my best friend growing up was my cousin Heather. And um, Heather had some issues of her own, like her stepdad was really mean to her, like probably beat her within an inch of her life a couple of times and I was witness to it. And all of this. So we basically had each other. And Heather was really smart. Um, She still is, but in school she was really, really smart. And her teachers tried very hard to, like, save her because they knew. And anyway, um, we... We had a, I had a, I had a library card because the library was also another place that really helped me. Mm -hmm. Um, And librarians, if they are true librarians... We'll let you check out whatever you want, um, unless it's against the law. And horror is not against the law. It's just not necessarily <laughs> a happy thing for kids. But we didn't have happy lives. And yeah. so whatever. And my librarians knew that. Heather and I checked out a book. I do not know what it is called. But to this day, when I like think about one of the scariest but best moments of my life is reading that book with her in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. She and I took turns reading aloud to one another. And like we, it was probably 400 page pulp fiction horror novel. And we loved it. There was a little bit of sex in it. And, but mainly the only thing I can really remember is this group of teenagers trying to get out of this mausoleum. Oh, man. And, like, ghosts and and just, like, all this kind of crazy stuff. And then there was murder. And um, I think it's just like this weird testament to, like, she and I had these terrible, terrible lives. And hers way more than mine because I was never, like, physically abused like she was. Um, but, like, for a couple of nights, her family let her stay with me in the summer, like, usually a week or whatever. Um, and one summer we checked out this crazy book from this tiny library and we like slept in the same bed together, but we barely slept and we read this book and it was, 
it was probably one of the fl- like high flying flag moments of our relationship together. It's mm-hmm. a scary book. That's really sweet. It is really sweet. It had a purple cover. Like I wish that I could remember enough about it to do research mm-hmm. to find it. Yeah. But there's just no way. Purple cover, mausoleum. Like what? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe I'll try. <laughs> I would love to know what that book is. Me too. Um, and I feel like even just telling that story, that is maybe a big part of what I do. Like that's the reason like I do the thing that I do. And now I'm going to start crying, so I'm going to stop talking about it. <laughs> maybe maybe put that up on Facebook, because I'm sure someone else read it. I I remember a book, and I found it a couple years back, that I read in middle school that was about these uh, teenagers in the United States after the Soviet Union had taken over the United States. Mm. And it was called... What was it called? Maybe it was called like the USSA. This is why I couldn't. It took me a while to find it, but it's such a specific kind of story. Uh-huh. It's no longer in print, but there's used copies you can get off of Amazon. I don't think I want to revisit one? it. No, I, oh, just, okay. I don't think it would be as good. But I was really, I was really taken by that idea. It was, you know, it was rebellious. It was these, you know, high schoolers, and I'm whatever, twelve or thirteen. Right. Reading about these high schoolers who aren't just being rebellious against their parents, but rebellious against like the government because it was run by the communists and they were trading like heavy metal tapes, which apparently heavy yeah. metal was illegal. Um, <laughs> I love a world where heavy metal tapes are currency, baby. <laughs> so I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I do remember finding it eventually. Um but it's funny that there are I some books that. that we read early on. That just, like, change our lives. Yeah, but that aren't, like, huge. And that when we try to find them again right. down the road, it's just hard. I think that's part of growing up, going to the library. Is yeah. you you end up, as a kid, you end up picking some really random stuff off the shelves. Uh-huh. Which is great. It's just a great experience. But as you get older... Especially if those books you found pre-internet, finding them again can be right. kind of a difficult proposition. Um. So, my papa, my papa bought me my first two poetry books, mm-hmm. and like, I didn't realize this until like a couple of years ago when I took a kid to this book called "A, a Child's Treasury of Poetry," mm-hmm. and it's silly, it's silly, but I like. I was like, oh, my God, I had this book. And then I, you know, I credit him for buying me my first two now. But I, it was the same Christmas that he bought me um, Where the Sidewalk Ends. Oh. And that is a huge book. And it yeah. still circulates like mad. Like, I just had to put in a purchase order for three new copies because all of our copies are destroyed. And that's amazing. Mm, that really is. Um, but in this, in this child's treasury of poetry... There is um, this poem, whether the weather be fine or whether the weather be not, we'll weather the weather, no matter the weather, whether we like it or not. (laughs) So stupid. But like, I memorized that because I was like, look what they're doing with words. (laughs) Weather and weather. Like, I remember being so like hyped up on that one idea that these words sound exactly the same, but they are not the same. 
it. Like, I memorized it. And I thought I was just the coolest little thing. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah. And so, like, little weird shit like that that just, like, I don't know. It's just the grout in between these building blocks, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Aw. I remember when I, I first... Didn't know, I don't want this one to be where I'm just crying after every story. <laughs> <laughs> when I first started working with kids, I remember trying to use Google to find books there that I remembered from um, Reading Rainbow. Books oh. that maybe I had checked out when I was a kid and maybe I had never checked out, but that were just kind of indelibly linked in my mind to being a kid. Aw. Um... And that was like a project for me for a couple of years of finding these books that I could read to the kids. Um, and one was one was this stupid book, and I still have it about uh, dinosaurs and this little kid that's like an archaeologist. I wish I had it in front of me because I'm not I'm probably not explaining it that well. But like a lot of kids' books, you know. Instead of having adults do the stuff, it's this little kid who's like right. using mm-hmm. a brush to. To, to find the bones and <laughs> to find the bones, he's wearing like a, uh, uh, you know, like those hats that people wore in the 18th century when they went to like the savannah or something. God, <laughs> those saf- safari hats. Yeah, <laughs> um, and he's this, this little red-haired, freckle-faced kid digging for dinos. But anyway, any books for you, Dirk? Oh, I cut you off, Johnny. Sorry. You, you kind of trailed off and got quiet, so I thought you were done. I was trailing off because I didn't know how to end that. <laughs> <laughs> so I segue, read you right. Your segue was a lot better. <laughs> um, early on, uh, I actually I learned how to read. I kind of taught myself how to read with the children's Bible. Did you guys ever have that? It was like an illustrated, very simplified version of the Bible, but it's how I learned how to read. That's awesome. Um, Did they include Cain and Abel? Yeah. I mean, it, it had the whole thing, but it was very like simplified for young children. Sure. Um, and so I, re- I remember that, um, but like kindergarten, first grade, I was super into the boxcar children. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I I mean, I think I read almost the whole series yeah. <laughs> when I was that age. I mean, there's something so magical for me about, like, obviously, like, looking back, their situation was awful. They were living in a boxcar <laughs> because they thought their grandpa was a mean man, but he was actually, like, the best guy. <laughs> but they used a waterfall for a refrigerator. <laughs> it's... I. I'm losing it over here, Johnny. I'm just crying my eyes out. Because really I still take kids to the boxcar children. Yeah. They're so good. <laughs> oh, books are just the best thing for kids. That wasn't they a are. series I got to really experience as a kid. I remember um, I was kind of in charge of the library at the Boys and Girls Club, which wasn't much of a library. But it happened to be in the computer lab, which was my first job there, running the lab. Mm-hmm. And I went through boxes of books and rearranged stuff. And we had like a dozen different boxcar children books, but they were all from different time periods, like published okay. in different time periods. So in one cover, the kids wore maybe era appropriate sort of 
hobo clothes and then another yeah. it was like from the 80s so they were wearing more like back to the future fashion and then Ooh, nice. and another it was a little more early 90s so there were lots of pastels um, <laughs> so it was just it, it's it's weird seeing I, even though i never experienced these books as a kid just seeing how they're how they're marketed to each new generation it was yeah yeah just a funny for sure thing. It, it, but it's like the same content, yeah. which is amazing. Didn't change yeah. a word in the books. So good. We're. This is just a little caveat because I haven't talked to you guys really since before my Hawaii vacation. Oh my <laughs> um, there are a lot of changes going on at the library right now, and some I agree with, and some I don't. Um, but some big, big stuff is happening with the collection. And I actually got really mad and screamed at the top of my lungs during a staff meeting. But they're judging books by the cover. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're going through this big weeding process. And if they look grubby, that is an actual phrase that this fucking library is using. If they look grubby, they get weeded and they might not get replaced. (laughs) And I lost my head. (laughs) And I screamed, they're judging books by the cover. But like... So old books are just... I don't... I cannot get into it on in a platform that is going to be okay. accessible. Okay. I do not want to get fired for being insubordinate. Because <laughs> I really like my job. <laughs> but I will talk to you guys later about it if you want. That's but That's kind of insane. It's insane. Because then I think about like this conversation that we're having right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, kids... Kids do such a different kind of thing when they're reading. They browse, like Johnny was saying, and they pick out random shit that mm-hmm. can be life-changing. If that random shit isn't available, you know, it's not my job to change their life that way. It's their jobs to change their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in that way. Anyway, I wanted to speak to that point that you made earlier, Johnny. You said... um, you were, what, 12, and you were reading about teenagers doing? Mm-hmm. So this is an undeniable fact that a lot of people who work with kids know. And so if I'm telling you and you already know, I'm sorry. But think back to, like, Seventeen Magazine. Think back to any book that you read as, like, a middle schooler or a middle grader. Every protagonist was older. Mm-hmm. That's because kids want to read about older kids. If they read about a kid their age or somebody younger, it doesn't register in the right way because it seems like, well, they're babies or it's unattainable. Sure. If they read with a protagonist who's older, it's like something that they can reach and something that they like admire because kids love the idea of being older. Oh. Isn't that insane? That's really interesting. Yeah. And then like Seventeen Magazine, their highest demographic are girls between like... 11 and 14. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Not one 17-year-old picks up that magazine. <laughs> yeah, of course she not. picks up a Vogue or whatever, yeah. you know? So, just a little just a little mind nugget for you. <laughs> <laughs> if you're ever recommending books to a middle grader, just know that the protagonist has to be older. Not doesn't have to be, but mostly kids like to read yeah. about it. Okay, yeah. anyway. I'm filing that one into the memory bank. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, we've kind of potpourried for a while. I'm curious, were there any things that that either of you 
really wanted to touch on in this this episode about childhood. Yeah, I have a big. I have a like. I think I'd like to talk this one big story. Sure. Um, and it's it isn't gross, but some present company might think it's gross. I want to talk about my first period. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> um. Okay, so I'm 12 years old. It's August. So I haven't started school yet um, because this was back in the day when we didn't start on July 29th. (laughs) And um, I had just been swimming and all of this. And I want you to know that my parents got a divorce that year. Mm. um, And I was at my Nina's house. So I knew that it it was coming down the pike. Um, Because my mom talked to me about stuff, but never said, like, this is what you do if happens or whatever. It was just like, I'm on my period. Ah!" And I'm just like, I don't ever want that to happen. And I thought it was for older girls. Like, this will probably happen when I'm in high school or whatever. Um, So, yeah, I knew, I knew, but I didn't know. And I think we've talked, and this is going to be maybe weird, but I know we've talked a little bit about how I was um, an early masturbator. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so like all of these things are really crucial for this story so i was swimming and then i uh excused myself upstairs to um do some things <laughs> and then my aunt julie was visiting from florida and we're all getting ready to like go out to eat or something and so i was changing and i noticed that that I was bleeding and I was like <gasps> did I just did I hurt myself right like that was the first thing I thought I was just like I'm going to have to go downstairs and tell my grandmother <laughs> and my aunt that I somehow ripped my skin while I was touching myself <laughs> that was my first oh fucking my idea and I was like, this is, and my like shame alerts were high. Yeah. Panic was going off. The, the ship is sinking, folks. <laughs> what are we going to do? So I very calmly, because somehow, no matter how crazy I've always been as a person, I have considered myself calm under pressure. I walked my little body downstairs and I said, Nina, I'm bleeding. And you would have thought that I told them that I was like, <laughs> You know, just got straight A's on my report right. card. They were like, oh, my God, she's a woman. She's a woman. And like, it was like this weird fucking celebration. And I was just like, oh, OK, OK, OK. I don't have to say the thing yeah. that I thought I was going to have to say. They took it from here. And it, it turned out that it was my period and everything. And I, you know, I wasn't ashamed at that point. I was just like, all right, here we go. And I, my Aunt Julie, she was a registered nurse at the time. I mean, she probably still is, but she's in administration now. But she was just like talking to me about how I should be proud. And, and I was just like, wait, I thought this happened to like teenagers. And she was just like, Erica you're a teenager now and I was just like I'm 12 (laughs) like I was like freaking out um but it definitely was like such a weird moment and it's I think it really when I think back like my personality really hasn't changed at all like I was panicked and I was like ashamed of this thing and uh, I don't know she just they they both just kind of just like saved my life and my my day that particular day because they celebrated this fact that I was like super ashamed of. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, that was my first period. And it was weird because like, I was just like, I'm not sticking that up there. (laughs) No way. And so (laughs) like we had to like punt and like get other things because I was like, hell no, I'm not doing that. Um, It just seems so counterintuitive to me. It's like, things are coming out. Just let them come out. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I just think that that's, that's just such a weird, wonderful story. So I wanted to share that as one of my childhood experiences. Well, I, I'm glad that they, I, I don't know, that they were so positive. And yeah, me too. Like, <laughs> celebratory. <laughs> I'm sure in, internally you were like wiping your brow. Yeah, I was just like, oh, so I didn't actually like rip my skin apart. <laughs> and like, why was that the first thing I thought of? I don't know. Because, like, I didn't actually hurt myself. Like, nothing was hurt. But I was just like, oh, my God. I don't right. know. Because humans if you are weren't, weird. But if you weren't thinking about that, right. like, your mom didn't really specify, like, right. it might happen soon. <laughs> right. Like, of course you wouldn't think about that first. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so here's to periods. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that... Most boys don't have that same sort of moment when they become men. There's not. There's nothing comparable. Like no. I, I guess mm-hmm. I can remember <laughs> the first time when I figured out what boners were for <laughs> and what I could do with a boner. But that's different. That's not the same at all. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, yeah. Anyway, I won't go into detail. <laughs> <laughs> Dirk, did you have anything specific that you really wanted to talk about? Yeah, there was there was one story that, that I was planning on telling. Um, I forget how old I was. I think it was, it was around 12 or 13. Um, maybe a little bit younger, but I had just gotten my braces off. Hmm, braces. Okay. And so I had I had retainers and I had a like a bottom jaw retainer that I hated wearing. It was just so painful, it was yeah. the worst. Um, but I was out with my family. We were at the Richards in Warsaw and I had taken out my bottom retainer and like put it like wrapped it in a napkin cuz I didn't have my case with me. <laughs> So we're eating and, you know, whatever. And we leave and we're about halfway home. And I'll never forget, like, just the jolt that went through my body when I realized (laughs) I didn't have my retainer with me. (laughs) Shit. So my parents weren't with us at the time. It was my grandparents and then um, my cousins uh, from Missouri were in visiting. And um, so we're in the car and um, I was like, guys, I don't have my retainer. I left it at Richard's. And so um, my aunt got on her big blocky cell phone and called the restaurant. And of course, you know, they weren't going to look for it. Mm-mm. So being in service, I tell you, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> even a Hoosier hospitality award winner is not going to go that far. <laughs> so I'm freaking out. Um, because I don't want to tell my parents because I know they're going to be super pissed at me. Yeah. 
And they're like, don't worry about it. Just don't say anything to your parents. We're going to go back and we're going to try to look for it. I was like, okay. So um, they dropped me off at home and I'm like trying to play it cool with my parents. And um, somehow like they don't suspect anything. So I go up and go try to go to bed, but I can't sleep because I'm so nervous. <laughs> and I think the next day was a Sunday because... Uh, uh, we went to church and, um, I get there and, um, I see my grandma and aunt together and they come up to me and like real on the slide, they like pass me my retainer <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, you found it. And they said, yes, it's like a Jason somehow, movie. Yeah, yeah, somehow, totally. somehow we found it and we took it home and like we bleached it and boiled it and it's <laughs> made sure it was, you know, <laughs> sterile. Um, but it's good now. And like my, my parents had no idea. So mom, if you ever listen to this podcast, I'm sorry, I lost my retainer, but Hey, we found it. (laughs) I love that story so much. Like, and the lengths that those two women went for you, like who knows what they did. And they were like, no, Dirk, don't act cool, man. (laughs) Number one rule, baby, be cool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but the the feeling of relief after they just very slyly passed me that retainer, I was like, oh, oh my yeah. Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> there is a God, and he is worthy to be praised. Yeah. <laughs> it said the doxology right then and there. <laughs> Any one story for you, Johnny? No, not really. Um before we started recording, I just jotted down a bunch of different things. Like one thing yeah. that I spent hours doing as a kid. And I don't know exactly. I was a little bit of a nervous Nelly, I think, as a kid. And I one, think we all were. I yeah. think all three oh, of yeah. us were. Yeah. One thing I did, repetition was really good for me. And I remember mm. a couple of different games I would play just by myself i spent a lot of time by myself as a kid even growing up with two brothers and i think being a normally well-adjusted kid like having friends or whatever and going to church and school and all that kind of stuff but i would i would hit a, a tennis ball with a baseball bat off the wall of our house when i was like nine or ten and it was part of a wall that didn't have any windows and I'm sure it drove my mother insane. I'm sure it did. Mm-hmm. But I would spend like a couple hours every afternoon doing this. And just the repetition of throw the ball in the air, swing and hit, it bounces back, catching it. I get it. it. And I did I this. It. I probably did this for five or six years, even after we moved. Um, in the garage that we had. Uh, it, it, the garage that we had had been redone by the previous owners and you couldn't really put cars in it anymore. It had like a shag carpet, but it's still a garage. And I would hit a tennis ball against the wall inside the garage for hours on end. And when it was nice out, I would hit a baseball against our barn for hours on end. And I probably did this till I was 16, 17, 18 years old. I was never really good at baseball. Like, it's not like I, I could not field a ground ball. I remember one time I was playing baseball. I don't even know what friends. that means. It's when you the ball's coming to you, you scoop it up means? off I'm the ground. Kidding. Okay, he's it's just kidding. A, it's he, called a oh. joke. <laughs> you ever heard of it? No, 
Obviously not. Not a baseball joke, by God. This is serious in this country. But I think I was sort of afraid of the defense part of baseball. Because one time yeah. when I was playing with my friends, he had a ground ball to me. And it was on a rocky field. It wasn't even on a field. Up. Like a, yeah. Bounced and hit me straight in the forehead. Knocked me on my ass. <laughs> Oh my god. So that Jesus. part of the game I probably wasn't real into. But it's just funny that this sort of repetition was what I got into as far as dealing with nerves and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um did you guys have anything like that as a kid? Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. And it's so funny because I've I have actually had a lot of like retro slash introspection about this particular game that I'm getting ready to tell you about. And Mm -hmm. I think I've talked to one or both of you about this before. It might even have been on a good talk gang. But like, it's kind of weird. And it's very centered around words. And like, thinking back, I'm just like, okay. Yep, okay. It's always been for me to mess with words. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I would lay in bed and I rem- I think I remember specifically when it started. I was I was afraid. And I don't know what. Hmm. Who knows what I was afraid about? Probably hearing my parents fight or aliens or ghosts. Like those were my top three. <laughs> and I and I slept downstairs um, in the cold room and everybody else slept upstairs. So I was by myself. And I would come up with a sentence. Any sentence would do. Mm-hmm. I was in second grade when this started, when we learned about syllables. Um, the radio has a silver knob. And I would count syllables. The radio has a silver knob. And it would be nine, okay? The syllables had to be divisible by, by five. So it had to be five, 10, 15, whatever. Mm-hmm. If not, I would tinker with a sentence until... There were, there were that many number of syllables. Um, so the black radio had a silver knob. And then I could like put that sentence to bed. And then I would think of another one. And I tried to either have them kind of connected in theme or um, some nights and some nights I would not be able to use any of the same words. Hmm. But the same rules had to apply. Five syllables. Um, or 10 syllables, like divisible by five. And then it got so bad that I would take what other people said and and like, and it, it, it followed me out of the bedroom. Like during the day, I, I would get so obsessive about what people said that I would fix their sentences in my head. So it would be divisible by five. Hmm. And then it got so bad that, and like, I did this for years. Like, I, I think I, I stopped doing it in, like, eighth grade because I was just like, you are fucking crazy. <laughs> because I would be writing in the car and I would come up with the sentence and then I would count the syllables with the passing telephone poles. Oh, wow. And it, like, started getting out of control where, mm. like, I would separate myself from conversations and stuff and have my own stringent, syllabic conversation <laughs> in my own head. <laughs> but still, sometimes... Like, I'll do that. And it'll be the five or ten thing that I'm... Um, mostly, I try very hard to, like, channel that into writing if I want to be very serious about form or following a, a particular syllabic map. Um, and then that's healthy for me. What's not healthy is, like, losing myself in these things. 
but it was the repetition, Johnny, and it was mm. like things that I could control. Yeah. And like being nervous and like always being audience to like drugs and alcohol and fighting and stress. Like that's not good for a kid. Right. So, yeah, that's a thing that I did and that where like I remember breaking myself of it and it being very hard in mm-hmm. middle school, like extremely hard where I'd like see telephone poles and I'd be like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and then I'd be like, don't do it. It's only three syllables. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Kids are crazy. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Johnny Dirk looked right in my eyes and said, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I'm trying to just rack my brain thinking about how I dealt with anxiety hmm. and stress as a kid. And I, I'm really not, I'm not coming up with anything. So I'm pretty sure this means that I have like internalization issues. <laughs> like I just, I bury it. Um, I remember being very anxious and nervous about... Um, high ceilings and domed ceilings Hmm. as a kid. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but like um, one time I I was really proud of myself. It was in fourth grade and in Indiana, the tradition is fourth grade is the state Mm -hmm. history year. Yep. Okay. So um, the entire fourth grade in our elementary school went on this two or three day field trip to central and Southern Indiana um, and one of our stops was the state house. And I remember going into the state house and there's a, that massive rotunda. Uh, it's beautiful. And it's got the stained glass ceiling um, and it's really high up. Yep. <laughs> and I remember going in there and walking through the doors, just being like, Dirk, be cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There's a big ceiling coming up. There's a domed ceiling out there. You got to just play it cool because you're around all your friends and they don't need to know that this shit freaks you out. So I went right into the middle of that rotunda and I looked straight up and it kind of like messed with my head a little bit, but I just kept looking and I I was okay and I felt really proud of myself. That's your fourth grade version of shaking your fist and cursing God at the sky. I will look right at you. Come at me. Come at me, bro. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, That's such a good story. That's it so felt really good. good. But still, like, I'm obviously I'm I'm better now, but like still sometimes it, it kind of like messes with me because I'm afraid that I'm just going to get like really bad vertigo. Yeah. I don't know. And dizzy and just pa- fall right. out under yeah. the spirit of the dome ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> Come to and just be like the ceiling. The yeah. ceiling <laughs> Shield my eyes. Uh, uh, you had to ask about anxiety. I swear, that story really does make me seem like a crazy person. I know it does, but poets are crazy. I don't, I don't know. I feel like, and may, maybe this happens, and I'm just not aware of it because children's lit. I just don't know a whole lot about it. But I feel like the inner lives of kids are a lot more complex and rich than we give mm-hmm. them credit for. And like, I don't know, maybe writing about your teenage years because they are so formative is just 
I don't know if easier is the right word. Maybe it's more marketable. Maybe it's more interesting to write, to read. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But yeah. those kid years are just as formative. And I think yeah. because kid logic is so different from adult logic, it can still be really complex. Yeah. In a way that other literature maybe can't be. I don't know. Maybe those works exist and I'm just not privy to them, but it's a good it's a good period to explore. It really is. And I mean even this right here is just like I don't know. Like I can see us in each of these stories, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like separating myself from mine. Like I know that that syllable story is absolutely insane. But then if you like add everything that you know back back into the pot, like yeah, it is me. You know, I'm anxious, but I control it. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things and very centered around language. Like it's crazy that that I don't know. It's it's cool to see, I guess little versions of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, I don't know. It Just talking about these kinds of things, this isn't a perfect segue, but it makes me think of like the first, um, this is going to obviously date me, but the first cassette tape, I remember being like mine. It wasn't like, it didn't belong to my brother and I. It didn't it was belong to my yours. parents. Yeah, it was a gift to me. And probably it was a Michael W. Smith cassette. Aww. From his album Eye to Eye. Spelt letter I, number two, word I, E-I-Y. So I to I. Okay. So I guess he's a little bit of a, a little bit of a Prince influence there, apparently. <laughs> I haven't listened to this in probably 20, 25 years. I don't want to. But I do remember, like, just, I got it for Christmas one year. It might not even have been for Christmas, to be honest. It was a Christmas present from, I think, my cousins in California. I don't think we went there for Christmas, but we went down there from Oregon and they gave me this as like a Christmas gift. And I remember listening to it in my room when I'm like eight years old. God. And I had a little cassette player. And I listened to it over and over and over. Amy Grant is on one of the songs. Oh, I love yes. Amy Grant. This baby, was like, baby. I think this was the album that came out before Place in This World and before Baby Baby. So they hadn't crossed over quite yet. But it's still, I think it's as good as any of those songs, um, at least relatively speaking. But yeah, I just, I've always, and this, this happened as I got older too, always gravitated towards a certain, you know, album and listened to it over and over. And it's been, it's defined maybe different periods in my life or different years, especially as I'm younger. I don't think it happens as much now as it used to. But like Weezer's Blue album was another album that mm. for an yes. entire year just kind of internalized it. Um, but yeah, as an eight-year-old, this Michael W. Smith album, of all of all the artists to have sort of imprinted on your mind, um, 
<laughs> it also he has glasses on in the cover of the album, and it yeah, made me feel does. good. Mm-hmm. Made me feel better when I a couple years later when I first got glasses. Johnny, like quit it, Johnny. I felt like I could use Smith wears glasses. This isn't all bad. Oh, God, that is so sweet. <laughs> I might start um, crying. I know. But I'm curious, were there any any things like that? It doesn't have to be an album. And I know we've talked about books a little bit. But anything Mine like that Mine is definitely an age? album. Yeah? What was it for you? A hundred percent. I've got... So I wasn't a kid kid. Um, but in sixth grade, I moved two times. And it was awful. I mean, because like... My parents got a divorce, and then I moved to Muncie, and I went to, like, an inner city school, mm-hmm. and I was anxious, and I, I actually can't even tell you my teacher's names. Like, I blocked that Muncie school out of my head. Hmm. Blocked it. There are two things that I remember, and I don't want to get into them. But then I moved to the country, and where I graduated high school, Modoc, Indiana, and... Um, I didn't make friends. Like I came, I went to that school and, and there was a boy that I knew from my farmland life because my mom and dad and his mom and dad and another girl's mom and dad would smoke pot together mm. and we would play um, on their, I mean, it was in the country. So we'd play on their swing sets and in their fields and stuff. And I walked in one day and I said, Matt Foy. And he was like, Erica. And we like hugged and it had been years since we'd seen him, seen each other. Um, but he was my only friend, and he wasn't a cool friend, so I was kind of ostracized. I mean, he was he was very cool. Don't get me wrong, but he wasn't in the cool right group. Yeah. Okay, and this was a tiny school, but um, and everybody lived so far apart because it was all in the country. And when you're a kid, that really excludes you from a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I would sit up in my room, make beaded necklaces. Oh man, light candles, which. My mom was good about giving me freedom, really. Mm-hmm. She's, she's a very good mom that way. Um, and I would listen to the Violent Femmes. Yeah. Oh. Yep, Blister in the Sun. I know every word on that album because I would listen to it on repeat. Um, not the best choice for <laughs> a young sixth grader who's feeling very vulnerable to listen to, but maybe the best choice for a vulnerable sad sixth grader mm-hmm. to listen to because like it has very peppy riffs and mm-hmm. it deals with very weird deep stuff yeah. um but also like i'm proud of that like yeah one day it just happened upon it and my dad's my stepdad's collection took it upstairs and it never <laughs> left my possession and that's a very cool album for a, a sixth very- grader to listen to. Oh, I was like, and this was this added to why I didn't have many friends because I listened to Nirvana, I listened to um, Violent Femmes, I listened to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Everybody around me listened to pop music and country music, mm-hmm. and so yeah. when they came over to my house and I had like fucking magical mystery tour in they're like what is this and i'm just like just chill you're gonna love it (laughs) but i was always the like the weird eccentric one and i'm just like no i'm just trying to fit in but (laughs) this is the music i have to choose from (laughs) but violent femmes for sure was that album Mm. for me Mm. and that when i put it on like i it like it has been with that album has been with me at every big juncture like I listened to it in my car when I first got my first car and it went with me to college and Andy bought me the vinyl you know a couple Mm -hmm. years for Christmas and it's just 
that has it has staying power for me. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I would like to take y'all on a quick little tour okay. of significant tapes in my history. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Johnny, when you talked about your first tape, it got me thinking about when I got my first tape that I really remember. And it was uh, the Beauty and the Beast soundtrack. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Got it for Christmas. And I listened to that thing all the time. Uh, but then a few years later, because um, my mom or grandma, somebody got me the soundtrack to Anastasia. Oh, and, this and a, makes so much sense. Yeah, and, and a Beethoven, uh, Beethoven tape. I listened to the Anastasia tape way more than the Beethoven tape. <laughs> I liked it way better. Um, and then... Later on, uh, a couple Christmases after that, I got Garth Brooks' Fresh Horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, really loved that one because it had. I think that one had the Beaches of Cheyenne on it, and that was that was like about a murder mystery. I thought that was so cool. Um, we were the best kids. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys ever listen to the Now That's What I Call Music CDs? No, no, I never I don't did. Think I did. Oh my god! But they have—they're up to like ninety-five oh, or yeah. one hundred and two right now, or something. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm old enough to remember when they were pretty new. So, like, I got one of the early editions, and it had um, a couple Smash Mouth songs on it, mm-hmm. and um, Macy Gray's "I Try." Oh, I love that song. Yes. <laughs> um, and I would just like at—I think that was middle school and I got a lava lamp one year and I would just sit in my room, my Love little boom box, <laughs> turn on my lava lamp and I would just listen to those now CDs. Did, did one of those compilations have um, return to innocence on it? Cause I, I think, think my so. friend Leah had a, now that's what yes. I call music yeah. and Enigma was on it. Yes. I think that, and I think we it was. would turn on my <laughs> lava lamp and be like, return to innocence. Baby. Oh, such a good song. <laughs> I too. love that song. Uh, but yeah, I would I would just listen to those now CDs, and that's really how I got into pop music. Because I was always I was raised on country music pretty exclusively. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, and then in high school, um, I don't know if you guys have have heard of this band, but they're an Irish band called The Thrills, yeah. and they had this album called So Much for the City, and I remember that was the album I listened to all the time in my first car. That's awesome. Yeah. I had one of those little cassette adapters. Uh-huh. And I had my little portable CD player. Oh, my God. My pop that baby in. Oh, it was so good. I felt like the coolest fucking person. Yeah. <laughs> Music's a really good one to go down. Like, I feel like we could probably do a whole episode on just music that has influenced us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And maybe we should. Yeah. That's a good idea. Ooh. Little nugget to <laughs> toss around. Do either of you remember, I can't remember the first movie I saw in the theater. I know it would have had to have been a Disney movie. Like, maybe Oliver and Company. Maybe The Rescuers Down Under. But do I remember the first live action movie I saw. What is it? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Nice. Nice. That's a good one. It was such a big deal to me when I saw it and this is why I can remember it because it was the first 
non-animated movie I remember seeing in the theater. And it kind of felt like this was a grown-up movie <laughs> because of that. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. how many I shrunk the kids, whatever. But, <laughs> um, like, I, I don't even remember if my younger brother was allowed to come with us. Oh, wow. That's and pretty special. He might have. He, I just can't remember. I remember specifically my older brother being with us. But for some reason, I can't imagine David in this memory. Hmm. I'll have to ask him if he remembers it. Um, I don't remember much about the movie, to be honest. I remember, I guess, kind of liking it. We never owned it on VHS or anything like that. So it wasn't a movie. It wasn't a movie like Home Alone, which I probably watched. Right. A hundred and twenty-five times. But I do remember going to see it in the theater and being like, you know, I'm, I'm an adult now. This is a grown-up movie. <laughs> These are real people. Blah, blah. Anyway. I was tiny for my first movie. Yeah. And I remember it because it was, it came out in 1988. So I was five years old. Mm-hmm. My I went with my grandparents, uh, The Land Before Time. Oh, my God. Yeah. And here's why I remember it. I don't remember much from my young young age. I mean, I really, really don't. Um, but Jesus Christ, Littlefoot's mom dies. Yeah. And I'm bawling in the theater. And my papa has to take me out of the theater to calm my ass really? down. <laughs> I told you. I've told you. I've always, I've always absorbed other people's energies, even fake dinosaur <laughs> energy. <laughs> But that's a really visceral moment. Yes, though. it is. Like even watching sharp it, tooth kills it. Yes. <laughs> I I totally missed out on that series. I know there are a bunch of them. Well, they don't get better. The first no. one is the first one is the only one you need to yeah. watch. Yeah. Um. Speaking of animated movies that fucked my shit up as a kid, <laughs> um, the Fox and the Hound. Oh yeah. When she takes. Um, was it Todd? Is that the fox's name? Yeah. I'm getting a nod from Andy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when the woman who raises Todd. His takes little name him, was Todd. Takes him to the nature preserve and drops him off. I, I bawled as a kid. I mean, just thinking about yeah. it right now. is like <laughs> messing me up. Oh, my God. Okay, so we do need to wrap it up. Do we want to wrap it up on our broken hearts as kids? Uh, (laughs) Well, I don't know. How do you guys feel? Well, I I did want to say one thing that's not so much a story, and I think I've already kind of touched on it. But I I don't know. This isn't a story. This is just oh. a, 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 a strongly held belief I have. And I don't know exactly why I have it. So it's good to talk about it. But just this idea that... And I, this is going to sound sad. I didn't mean it to sound sad. I it's wanted okay. it to sound. I wanted it to end on a, on a different note. But just this idea that... I know a lot of people would disagree with this but when I was 9 or 10 just not knowing all the shit of the world and the complications that come with encountering 
things like puberty and encountering things like classism and encountering things, you know, just things that weigh you down as you get older. Not that puberty and classism are like the two big issues of our day. Um, (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) But just, I remember nine or ten being, this is what's going to sound sad, being like the happiest I ever was. Um... In a sense, I don't that, think that sounds sad. Be, it, okay. it seems realistic. <laughs> yeah, I I think there there would be a lot of people out there who yeah. would agree with you. <laughs> and I I don't want it to. Some people have really sad nine or ten year old years. I do. It, it's it's yeah. It's not that. It's not that those years, even for me, like a lot of good things happened. Although I bet I could think of a few good things. Maybe a lot of good things. It's just, there's a sense of sort of like wide-eyed wonder to the world before it knocks you down. Mm-hmm. But there's something special about those years to me. Um, and I know a lot of times when we talk about formative years, again, we gravitate to our teenage years and maybe our college years. But, um, like, loving things like music baseball um just wandering around outside (laughs) all on your own syllables a lot of those things happen in those years too um Mm -hmm. and that like remember the movie um boyhood Mm -hmm. did not watch did not watch did watch if you ever watched That, to me, I think if I were going to do a movie like that, I would want to focus more on sort of those years. Because those years, to me, are, like I said earlier, the ones that don't really get explored in art quite as much. Mm -hmm. Um, Or when they do, they're fun kind of stories, like The Sandlot or... You know, movies like that that are that are that 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 kind of gloss over. Um, right, they're very lighthearted. Yeah, that don't totally explore what it means to be nine or ten. I don't know where I was going with that thought at all. <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's perfect because yeah. we can just say, you know, like here's to being jaded, sad grown-ups. That's right. With amazing foundations. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I feel like I've learned a lot about you guys today. Same. Same. Mm. I Any... love that we love each other. I love the way we love each other. Agreed. Yeah. Any closing thoughts from you, Johnny? I think I said my piece. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to call it Good Talk Gang. Good Talk Gang. Good Talk Gang. Hey, you little ding-dongs. <laughs> this is Erica of Dirk, Johnny, and Erica and Good Talk Gang. You know us, real-life friends having real-life conversations. We get together, talk about shit, mostly Tom Hanks, and put out a bi-weekly podcast. And here you are. Thanks for listening. We really like you. If you want more of us, and let's face it, after all of these laughs, I bet you do, you can follow us on the top three medias, FB, Insta, and the Twitters, all at Good Talk Gang. And you can find me on Twitter at Tiny Toadstool or on Insta at Erica Ann. 
No underscores here, okay? Thanks again, friends. Your love's got us looking so crazy right now.